0: Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast. We're on episode 145, and we have some exciting stuff for you today. We have some NBA news, NFL news, some political stuff with Hulu, and then with uh, the Supreme Court. And finally, potential proof that the Loch Ness Monster could really exist. So without further ado, strap up those seat belts, put the trade tables up the Pilot Boys are about to take off. So, V, I think uh, I think I definitely want to start us with this Loch Ness monster news because uh, you know me, I'm I love I love anything that is in the category of unbelievable, and this is very far in that category. So, there was a fossil discovery recently in Europe, and it essentially made it very possible that the Loch Ness monster and monsters of that size in lakes and in oceans could actually exist especially if they go deep enough and I think one of the cool things with Loch Ness and Nessie is that the depth of that lake is so significant it's one of those situations where it's like an unknown just like the bottoms of our oceans like we just for the first time got near and I think to the bottom of the Mariana Trench in the Atlantic and. We talked about this last week when we were talking about space, the amount of unexplored regions on Earth is is ridiculous. And so to think that we know everything is, you know, it's, it's not likely. And I love whenever we find something that shows us the things that we considered unbelievable could actually have some weight.
1: I mean, the Loch Ness Monster is uh, is is a, is a great story. Uh, <laughs> I think everyone knows uh, knows about. So I think uh, whether whether true or not, like you said, the plausibility of creatures um, that we don't understand or can't be explained existing is something that I think would be healthier for people to accept um, than dismiss. Obviously, and uh, you know, maybe I don't know how many people disappeared in the region in reality during those times when the Loch Ness monster was potentially roaming around. But maybe we could go back and do some uh, do some demographic data and explain some uh, unexplained deaths and disappearances during those times.
0: A hundred percent. And I, I love just the idea of these giant, giant monsters in general because, I mean, it, it stands to reason the ones who live in the deepest depths of the ocean Nothing's really changed in their environment in, you know, thousands and thousands of years. So it definitely is very likely that a lot of the dinosaur age creatures just stayed around because nobody bothered them down there.
1: The thing that i really care about more than the Loch Ness monsters, than proving the dragons are real.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we could prove that a dragon is real, we could yeah. we could change a lot of things. <laughs>
1: We'd all have something to slay, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And not like the Beyonce kind of slay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, moving forward, uh, I thought this was a really, really interesting thing. It's it's taken some steam on Twitter right now. Um, but Hulu actually blocked a few ads that are political ads um, that are mostly attack ads. And it created a lot of of beef, people are trying to cancel Hulu, unsubscribe, you know, all that stuff. And I think when it comes to these types of things, there's there's some context. First of all, Disney owns Hulu and we know Disney is a very like, family friendly type of platform. And I love that Disney is putting their foot down and saying like, hey, like we're we're not going to allow like negativity like that on this platform. If you want to put an ad on here. It has to actually be an ad it can't just be like this person sucks like this person's gonna kill your baby you know what i mean and uh i i just i love it man i love that the platforms are starting to take a little bit of a stand this is the first one we've seen so you know maybe too early to comment but i think when it comes to like correcting the discourse and the nature of discourse in this country it's like it's corporations It's it's hulu it's disney who have to step up and say you know what no like we're not going to allow you to put that type of media on this platform.
1: Yeah, I guess everyone will be soon uh, pushing
0: their ads to Twitter, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, their political ads to Twitter, because that is the haven for these kind of attacks, right? So um, it is it is very healthy for the networks to kind of take this position because um, at the end of the day, it just underlies the, the disaster that is kind of the system that exists for political advertising and the elections, like we all, I think most reasonable people with logic would agree that there needs to be some more regulation overall on how uh, these things happen. I mean, this is a great starting point is regulating the content in the future would be great if we could put a a cap on budgets for these things, because if you really look at how much money is spent just on getting these politicians into these seats um, in which we <laughs> we di- we are supposed to be able to dictate um, what they can and can't do. When you actually look at those numbers, and you realize how much waste there is, um, just like there is in government, you realize there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fat that could be trimmed by just regulating this, setting budgets where each party in a there's a presidential cycle has can can spend a certain amount of dollars. Um, And that's it. That would be the next step. Um, This is a great first step. And I hope a lot of the networks uh, follow suit. But of course, I think um, you have to be principled to do so. And the almighty dollar uh, (laughs) regulates some of these decisions more than anything else, especially the standard TV TV networks and cable providers who are struggling now—that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge for them to be able to take these type of stands because they do draw, they do generate a lot of advertising revenue.
0: Hundred percent. And with the standard standard kind of news channels and stations, there is some history with the government actually giving them the airwaves when NBC, ABC, all those channels started so there is some overlap there where i I could see that you feel like you have some obligation to the government in a sense because that's what your business is built off of but when you really go down into the private channels and the private communication networks that are being built you know the the counterpoint here would be hey this is limiting freedom of speech and you know we just made the argument when we were talking about the twitter acquisition that we wanted more uh, content on there and i think there's a line between, you know, things like disinformation and allowing people to, you know, make arguments on all sides of an issue versus tone of an argument. And I think when it comes to a government entity and the tone that they're taking or someone running for government and the tone that they're taking, I just think that there should be a decorum about that. And when it comes to privately managed media. <laughs> I think that you do have the choice to set the tone because it is all part of the branding decisions. The types of ads you see in a mobile game, for example, are very different than the types of ads you'll see on Instagram. And that's for a reason, because Instagram doesn't want spammy ads on its platform. And I think that that's a very, very fair decision to make. And I don't think it infringes on free speech.
1: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And uh, it's it's also interesting, like, is if you really understand how these ads came about, um, there are some regulations on what um, politicians can and can't say. But if you see most of these attack ads are funded by private groups and organizations, closing that loophole is also important because the common, um, common citizen uh, can't differentiate, doesn't know, just because, you know, the the, the the coalition for, you know, right wing advocacy is funding an ad versus the Republican Party. Uh, it still has the same impact. So that that logic behind setting the standards of what you can and can't advertise um and say about the opposition, um, that would be great for that to happen as well. That's my final thought on that. It's good this is a good this is a good overall stand that Hulu is taking and hope hopefully it leads to a domino effect
0: hundred percent. Um, something else in the political spectrum that I thought was really interesting was that a lot of narrative came out about the Supreme court decision around abortion. And what it sounds like is that John Roberts was heavily fighting to prevent the court from making this change and, uh, fighting internally. And, uh, when the leak happened, it essentially cemented the fact that that decision was going to happen. He wasn't able to delay it any further. Now, this could just be rhetoric, or uh, if it is true, I think what it shows is that sometimes somebody who thinks they're being an activist can actually break um, break the work of somebody who's truly in a position trying to do good. And I think that this is a situation where, you know, again, if, assuming what we're reading is true about the situation and the way it played out, it is a situation where the leak actually caused the outcome that... Whoever is leaking the the paperwork likely did not want.
1: Yeah, um, you know, again, you take all these things with a grain of salt. You don't know what's true and what's not. What is very very troubling is that the supreme the fact that this information was even leaked at all. The Supreme Court's standard of of privacy in in their process of making these decisions. Nothing like this has ever been leaked before. So sourcing that leak is very important to see where and how it 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 was leaked Um, and then i do agree with you not all things um leaks uh, the backfire didn't uh, it happened right because they didn't think that the court would continue with this decision um, with the pressure that was mounting um from from citizens and the truth here is that the citizens did speak out and overwhelmingly were against this decision. Um, and the Supreme Court went on and made this decision against the best interests or best interests of the citizens of the United States, which is very troubling because, you know, the, the courts are there to uphold uphold laws uh, and and take a degree of weight in changing them that are not based on personal beliefs. And it's very, very obvious in this scenario that the... Um, the conservative side, which is supposed to be a conservative side in terms of their interpretation of the Constitution, not based on their actual values um, as citizens. It's fairly obvious that that's what happened here, is that the conservative side of, of the court, um, in, under the guise of the Constitution, made this about their views and some of the more conservative personal beliefs that exist within the conservative party.
0: Yeah. And I think when it comes to this conversation, too, I've been dwelling a lot because I've seen a lot of folks on TikTok or on Twitter really just spewing hate toward folks who have a different belief on this. And I think the thing I want to underscore about like the abortion conversation is that there's a difference between being pro-life and anti-choice. And I think it's really important to ask somebody if you are you know, speaking to somebody who's, who's not in favor of abortion to ask that question, to say, are you pro-life or are you anti-choice? Because I think that there's a big difference there. One is implying, what would you do in that situation? And the second is, do you feel like you should be able to control what somebody else does? And I think that when you approach the conversation with a kind of nuance, it also serves to educate the folks who may be, uh, the, the argument on the pro-life side, uh, when you when you take like the conservative party in the way that they spit in, tends to use the emotion around a baby and killing a baby to conflate the two things, which is yeah. what you do versus what you think other people should do. And there's a pretty strong logical flaw there that just by asking that question, you'll likely be able to wake a lot of people up. So you know, just, just when it comes to these types of topics, I just think it's so important not to condemn someone who feels opposite from you, but just to understand and help them understand the nuance in their belief. Do you believe this or that?
1: Well, I think more than anything, the problem with this whole conversation is, is it's built on people's want and desire to hate other people and to cast judgment on other people. You know, it goes back to the era of like, you know, <laughs> if you've ever read the book, the Scarlet letter, you know, stoning, stoning people for, for for beliefs that are different is is part of the history of this country. Slavery is a part of this, the history of this country and not giving people freedoms as a part of the history of this country. But at the same time, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States is built in the concept of having freedoms, you know, um, against taking the British colony um, and, and saying, hey, it's not okay for you to dictate um, what human beings can do in their own lives. And that's what's really frustrating about this conversation to me is because if you, if you base it on what American culture is based on, and this is why even foreign countries are very surprised that this is as big of an issue as it is in America. You just, you know, pro-choice and having choice. It's not even a conversation or a debate in most democracies. Um, But in the United States, it continues to be one. And you have to ask why that is, whether this is actually a real conversation or if this is a conversation just based on the fact that it is important politically and they push it down the agenda politically. And it's like I've always been frustrated that in political elections that this topic seems to be like more important than the economy to some people. And it's just like. It shows how much emotion drives people versus logic and practicality.
0: Yeah. And I think I'll say this as well. If if you in the audience know somebody who has a really great pro life argument, you know, please have them reach out to us because I think that would be a really interesting interesting guest to, to have on and just to understand a really well, well built argument on that side of things. But i think whenever you get to anti-choice it's it's a very hard argument to sell you
1: can't you can't sell it unless you unless you are also pro-dictatorship and and pro pro china pro or if
0: you're truly pro-life you have to be anti-war as well yeah you have to be anti-death penalty like the belief has to hold across the board
1: exactly exactly and it's interesting that you say that because you find in a lot of the data that those beliefs do not hold across the board
0: right you have to be pro-universal healthcare. There's a lot of things that come with, you know, making <laughs> sure, like legislating that somebody keeps keeps a child, right? And it's like, yeah. I, I think that's where the argument breaks down when you get into anti-choice. Like, the, any time you're trying to tell other people how to live their life, like, the logic breaks down because it that's, does. it's not what you're supposed to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, even in even religiously, like it's not, you know, if you're if you're really a a hardcore Christian, the Adam and Eve story goes back to the fact that, you know, even though God condemned them from eating the forbidden fruit, he still gave them the choice to do so. And that is even if you're a hardcore religion, God doesn't even dictate people's choices, they have the right to make decisions whether or not it's right or wrong religiously. They still have the right to make those decisions.
0: You know? Yeah. You're that's so well said. Like we all have the opportunity to, to make the decision and we have the free will to decide if we want to live a virtuous life or, you know, one, one where maybe there's, there's suffering involved. And I think like that's, that's probably the most interesting part of religion. You know, as I, as I was walking into the, uh, the hotel here to record this there was a guy who was walking on the street he's like you know like one of the uh, one of the recruiters from the church from one of the churches right yeah. and he's just like comes up to me he's like hey can i ask you a question real quick and i'm like walking and he starts walking with me. i was like yeah sure what's up and he's like do you believe in the bible and i was like huh and then i paused and i was like yeah i think so and he didn't know what to say yeah. <laughs> it was such an interesting thing because he was just like oh well you know I, I a lot of people don't believe in it and we believe in you know this testament and that testament or whatever and i was like cool like well nice to meet you have a great day yeah. and it's so funny because i think people have their walls up and they're prepared for these like really really tough conversations but like to your point there's a lot of wisdom in all of the holy books there's a lot to pull yeah. out of it and like the the adam and eve story it's it's the same like the analogy you're making it's the same thing that hinduism teaches which is the idea of like you have actions that are for the greater good and you have actions that are for your own selfish good and anytime you make an action for your own selfish good that arm that harms somebody else there's suffering attached to that you know every every religion has that you have to get forgiveness for your sins right yeah and so it's it's the same thing across the board. I think it's it's really interesting when you try to make, even on policy, a religious-based argument. I just saw there's this representative, I forget where she's from, Marjorie something, who's drawn a lot she's of
1: attention. So she's so annoying. Yeah.
0: And she she's got all this attention because she's like, oh, I'm a Christian nationalist or whatever. And it's like, well if you were actually a christian you wouldn't be a nationalist because christianity is about accepting all and loving all it's not about creating partitions and i think that's where it's really curious when you see people associate with these things because they don't actually they don't actually follow what the what the religion represents
1: that's what's really frustrating about these people right is they represent these ideologies that they think is going to be popular enough to get them elected in their base, whether or not they actually believe that to be true, and that's what's really frustrating about the the, the current era of of political discourse is that it is so obvious. I remember even in, in my time, even whether you were Republican or Democrat, um, you try to preach that you were the that you were balanced in your thinking. You know, whether or not you agreed with something or any or not, the conversations and the debates were always practical and built in logic. Just like this conversation, if somebody were to have a pro-life, pro-choice conversation amongst two logically, emotionally centered people, there's value to be taken from both sides. But when you have these people who come out and make these stands that are so illogical and they know they're illogical and they can't be debated on them, then what is the value that they're bringing specifically as a representative in Congress or in the Senate? How is that beneficial to society to have these types of people in office?
0: Yeah, And
1: that's the question that the citizens need to ask because the reason that they're in power is there is a base of citizens very troubling that like these type of folks who, who want to dismiss, I don't know if it's logic can be painful because it forces you, one of our key things, it forces to reflect on yourself and your own issues. And I think I think that that may be the core of what's happening here is a, is a continued furtherance from self-awareness and, and self-understanding that's leading to a lot of this type of discourse.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, V. I think that the power of logic, the reason you get so many emotional responses when you say something very direct and, you know, very factual is that it's very tough for people to hear the truth. And it's very tough to get your pride out of the way and actually take that moment and accept what you're hearing. And And I think that there's, you know, it's not just in, uh, it's not just in political conversations, obviously, it's in your personal conversations, if you have a conflict family member if you have a conflict with a partner or a friend like it can be very hard to have that honest direct emotional emotionally you know clear conversation and uh that's the stage of humanity we're in we're all trying to trying to sort that part of ourselves out in this generation and in this time and you know we're we're seeing that the votes for somebody like like that um congresswoman that we're talking about They come from people who connect with what she's saying emotionally, but they've not really thought about what she's saying logically. Yeah. And there is a a need for both. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: Interesting, interesting conversation as always around politics.
0: Jumping into uh, some sports, we got some really interesting news in the NFL. I did not see this coming. Julio Jones just signed a one-year contract with Tampa, And uh, I think that makes the Buccaneers my Super Bowl favorite. Um, What do you think about this, V?
1: It all depends. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation um, around Julio Jones. I mean, here's the reality of how I evaluate Julio Jones, one of the best receiving talents um, of this generation, obviously, but has struggled um, for the last few years to stay on the field um and missing important games or playing games hurt we haven't seen 100 percent julio jones in a long long time um i was surprised at at the tennessee situation last year but at the end of the day uh, um i think tom brady you anybody would agree that tom brady um and the buccaneers offense is a much better situation than the one that he was in um in tennessee last year uh no no, no disrespect to the Tennessee Titans organization or their offense, but this is Tom Brady and the Buccaneers we're talking about. So there's no better landing spot for him. I always root for these guys because I was very pained to kind of see how the A.J. Green situation kind of ended here most recently. Yeah. Um, I would love to see Julio Jones have kind of a, a reclamation year to just remind people. Just how good he is, and how great he is um, as a Hall of Fame receiver before before his career ends. And I think this is this is the perfect situation for him to do so um, on a team that needs some receiving help um, with the loss of Antonio Brown um, and uh, Chris Godwin's injury. Um, yeah. So this this could be a very very dynamic um, receiving core, um, and of course. Yeah. Anytime tom brady is playing tampa's always going to be a favorite uh, for the super bowl so part that i think you're you're um, you're betting you're betting with the with the with the book on this with one. the herd yeah <laughs> you know
0: i think um, i think the other thing that's interesting too is Julio jones has never had this kind of quarterback like i know falcons fans love matt ryan matt ryan is not that good of a quarterback i'm sorry he's just not that good he's fine yeah. tom brady is as good as it gets and you're gonna have a guy in julio jones who's got the size advantage who's got an athleticism advantage who's got reach advantage he's a big dude and it's really uncommon at the receiver position to have the kind of size mike he has for the corners who guard him that's that's his biggest advantage and now if you combine that with the quarterback who can put the ball on the right side of his body just out of reach of the defender it's pretty much unstoppable
1: Yeah. And the most important thing here is the reason that Julio Jones's body broke down was because Atlanta had no one else to throw to. And so literally every route was going his way. When you have the diversity of talent, it's not just Tom Brady, but a diversity of talent on offense where you have two other pro bowl receivers in Godwin and Mike Evans, um, I believe they just signed Kyle Rudolph at tight end, and Rob Gronkowski is probably going to show up in Week Eight, Week Nine. Yeah, <laughs> when he when he feels like he like usually it. does. Yeah, when he feels like it. Um, and then they have Leonard Fournette in the running game and a good offensive line. This is a situation where, at this point in cl- his career, Julio Jones is, doesn't have the same expectations, and he can have games where he only has three or four targets, and the Bucks can still win. This is great for his. The extension of his uh, of his career, and and the health issues that he's had.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's an amazing situation for him, and you know I think it'll be really exciting um, moving from the NFL to the NBA. We saw some kind of cooling on the Kevin Durant conversations. News came out earlier this week that the Celtics had made a trade offer a few weeks back, and uh, it had gotten turned down, but it was essentially Jalen Brown. Uh, plus somebody else, I can't remember who, for, for KD. And uh, I think the trade was, you know, maybe relatively fair on paper, but not all the way balanced. Uh, but it, it got a lot of people saying, would KD and Tatum immediately become the best duo in the NBA? And I, I was just thinking that the Celtics could be a system where KD could really thrive. But I don't see the Nets just trading him to, you know, one of their immediate competitors anytime
1: soon yeah I mean if they're in full rebuild it doesn't matter I mean the Celtics and Nets have a history they they did the Paul Pierce KG deal that essentially led the Boston Celtics <laughs> to even be able to have Jason Tatum so there's a history here of the Nets constantly having to like destroy what they've built um but there's a there's an underlying conversation here too about these leaks and the impact that they have um Jalen Brown, I think, tweeted out his thoughts on this. Very disappointed, obviously, that he's being mentioned in in trade rumors when they just made the finals. Like, look, you know, yeah, he, with, wow. he
0: was the in, in our view, he was the better player. In,
1: he was the yeah, best player for the Celtics,
0: best player on the team. Period. Yeah,
1: and um, that's that's the that's the other side of this. And then you also have to remember what you're getting. Katie is one of the best all time scorers. Uh, in the league, um, but his personality is one that's very touch and go, right? If you're if you're building chemistry, he's he's also a dog on the court. Um, seems like he's very strong there. But as he showed in both Oklahoma City and now in this Brooklyn Nets situation, it seems like he's a guy that can't handle um, handle adversity, right? Um, and and runs from the adversity um, whenever he gets the chance. And that's not a knock on KD's and his talent. It's just, if you are the Boston Celtics and you just made the finals and Jalen Brown showed as much heart as he did, um, and also has the type of personality off the court that is amazing. If you know, if you don't know anything about Jalen Brown and who he is off of the court, um, and in that Boston community and nationally, I think, um, there's value to be value there too in in what they've built together jason tatum and jalen brown have come up together and obviously when you have the opportunity to get kd you you explore that um but i think that the, the boston celtics really really need to think about this as a as a decision in breaking up the chemistry of of that team now and adding kind of this enigma of a personality because he had issues in golden state as well even after they won um, getting along with folks, you know, and so that's 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 the question Boston has to answer. If it's a, cha- it could be a championship move, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: It could very much be, and that's the beauty of the NBA is it could be either a huge flop or it could be just an unbelievable cheat code, and you never know until you see yeah. it happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, on that note, I think that uh, brings our news and notes for today to a close. Um, as always, remember to stay moving and be you. You is fly.
1: Pod boys out.